Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brian Jones, and if you're new here, I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I'm, I'm the guy that gets to teach and lead staff and, and love on people around here, and it's a privilege that we get to spend time together, and I'm honored that out of all the time that you have today, you chose to spend it with this group of people. We especially want to say hello to the, those of you who are joining us online, particularly those of you who are friends of people here who might uh, join at some point. We really look forward to meeting you. Um, I want to start out by having you lean over to the person next to you, and I want you, I'm only going to give you like five, five to ten seconds to do this. I want you to share what has been the happiest, most euphoric, best moment for you over the last ten years. Just as soon as I ask this question, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Lean over and tell them. Can you do that? All right, good, great. All right, that's too much happiness, come on. Let me, let me tell you about my moment. Uh, my most uh, euphoric, happy moment over the last decade happened uh, for Lisa and I's 25th anniversary. We went to Paris. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been to Paris. When we, when we drove up on the, the city of love, the anticipation was building. The very first thing we saw was the Eiffel Tower in the distance. And, you know, I leaned over to Lisa and I said, you know, you wait your whole life to see things like this. You always see it in photos, but to see it in person is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, we went by the uh, Notre Dame, which was the coolest thing ever. Later in the trip, we actually went up at night went up into the bell tower, hiked all around the top at, uh, overlooking the city at night, which was just, just magical. I uh, went by the Arc de Triomphe, um, which was pretty amazing, all the historical things that happened around there. And those of you who are speak French speakers, you're going to have to tell me if I said this correctly. Uh, we drove down the Champs-Élysées. Did I say that correctly? All right. Parlez du français, those of you. All right. Beautiful, just absolutely stunning, one of the most famous avenues in the world. Everyone in Paris sits out, sits out in these quaint little cafes with all the chairs facing outward and uh, uh, looking at people. And for lunch, I said, let's go to a French bistro, and I'm getting escargot. Let's do this. Which, oh, yeah, which was as gross as the picture would let on. Uh, later on, we went to the Louvre. Those of you who have been to the Louvre, the historical treasures that are there, man, I honestly wish we could have taken days and days uh, to walk through that. Most disappointing place thing in the Louvre? The Mona Lisa. Not going to lie. You see the Mona Lisa and you're like, eh, you know what? It's, you know, it's like when I went to you know, uh, uh, the, uh, um, Plymouth Rock. I'm looking for the Rock of Gibraltar out in the bay. Where is it? It's this little five foot. No, it's a star. Anyway. We strolled through quaint parks. People were taking dancing lessons on the Seine. Um, and then it was kind of emotional. We went past the Princess Diana Memorial, uh, the underpass where she uh, uh, tragically lost her life. Right above it, uh, they have a flame which stays lit all of the time. Going to Paris on our 25th wedding anniversary was everything we would thought it would be and more. But that wasn't the moment. The night, or that night, when we got to Paris, our tour guide said that she was going to take us someplace special to be ready. So we all hopped in the car, and at 9 o'clock, we tore off to this spot. I had no idea where we were going. Turned the corner, and 
went down to this spot, and I have, I, where are we? What are we doing? And uh, she said, okay, it's 9.59. Are you ready? Three, two, one. And then the lights came on on the Eiffel Tower. And my crude photography skills don't do any justice to what an extraordinarily magical moment that was for me. But that still wasn't the moment. The moment was when, like a kid with a crush on the cutest girl in school, I, I handed a camera to someone next to us, and again, I apologize for my, for, well, I mean, their photography skills, but, <laughs> but this was the most magical moment in the last decade of just being with Lisa. And, you know, I felt incredibly alive, and I fell in love with my wife all over again for who she is. And I wanted to share that with you um, I wanted to share that with you for this reason. I can't stand and look. I can't stand looking at the Eiffel Tower now. And you want to know why? Because nothing I ever do compares with that moment. Like, I mean, sure, surely, yeah. I mean, my wedding day was amazing. The birth of my children were amazing. Bawling at my daughter's wedding was amazing. Those were all transcendent, significant, and much more significant than being there at the Eiffel Tower. But the reason I bring this up is that we're taught from a very young age is that there are actually two radically different versions of our lives. The first moment is what I'm just going to call, for lack of a better term, moments of incredible awesomeness. That version of our life is amazing. These are the mountaintop experiences that we all have in life. Like the day that you graduated from college or you ran a Spartan race or a marathon. You know, what an accomplishment. You were there for your great-great-grandmother's 100th birthday. Or like today, the magical moment when after the service, one of you is going to walk up to me and hand me your 40-yard line tickets. <laughs> You're going to hand me tickets to the Eagles-Viking games tonight, and you're going to look at me and say, because you're the greatest pastor in the world, your word's not mine, and because I don't want to go to hell, I'm giving these to you. I do not want to rob you of the magic of that moment, right? Uh, these are what Abraham Maslow called peak experiences. Do you guys remember Maslow from school? Maslow was uh, made famous later on by other people that basically took his research and then applied it to more practical terms uh, for Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, basically, there are base phys physiological needs like food and water, and then once you take care of those, then you can be interested in things like safety and then things like belonging, and once those are in place, things like self-esteem until you reach what Maslow would call self-actualization. Now, what you need to understand, if you, if you read anything by Maslow, he is, this was not his interest. It's not Maslow's interest at all. Now, I don't know if you know this. There's been a lot of research lately um, that actually has upended Maslow's research on what are the most important basic needs in life based on a longitudinal study that has been going on for decades, international researchers and psychologists have revised the chart, and now Maslow's chart now looks like this right here. 
Um, in fact, a team of crack researchers discovered there are, in fact, more important things in life than food and water. So Maslow was not interested in a hierarchy of needs. That came long after his research, people who incorporated that for their own purposes. What Maslow was interested in what he called peak experiences. In other words, what conditions must be present for peak experiences in life to occur? Mountaintop experiences of euphoria when you feel totally alive. What has to be in place for that to occur? For instance, homeless people freezing on the ground do not have peak experiences. So Maslow obsessed over this idea and argued that if we could just figure out what it took to provoke a peak experience and then stay in those incredible moments of awesomeness, how amazing life would be, right? The problem is, as you know, there's another version of our lives. It's called, for lack of a better term, the monotonous daily grind, This is the version of our lives that we live in 99.9999999. I'll stop being obnoxious, but I'll keep going on. 9999, part of our lives. This is the version no one wants to post online. This is waking up, going to work, staying on 422 for an hour and a half, coming home. Staying on 422 for another hour and a half. Eating dinner, helping the kids with homework, going to bed, wash rinse, repeat the exact same thing over and over again. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the monotonous daily grind, except once we've had moments of incredible awesomeness, we become like crack addicts. Give me one more. No, no, no. Now I want one more. Now I want them every single day of my lives. In fact, for those of you who are here today, particularly those of you who are new, This is the number one issue you must solve in life. The first person to pick up on this was a guy named William James, who was to become what is later called a psychologist. But at the time, he was just a researcher into what motivates human beings to do what they do. In 1902, he released his research, and he called the book The Varieties of Religious Experience. And he said this, He said, if we were to ask the question, what is human life's chief concern? One of the answers we should receive would be, it is happiness. How to gain, how to keep, how to recover happiness is in fact for most men at all times the secret motive of all they do and of all they're willing to adore. In other words, words, according to James, once we experience a moment of incredible of happiness, Our lives resemble the floor of a crack house where we're laying on the ground. Give me one more hit. Give me one more hit. Give me one more hit. Come on. Give me one more. Give me one more. Give me one more. James argues that we spend every moment of our monotonous daily grind plotting how we can tear Clark Kent's clothes off and find another peak experience. Now, you think that's crazy? Think back to how you thought this whole past week. And tell me if you disagree. Right? All week long, every person in this room was looking forward to something. Could have been the game coming up. Could have gone out partying. 
uh, some trip that you were going to take, all week long in your monotonous daily grind, you were thinking and planning to do something that was going to make you happy. We all do it. Something else that was going to bring you happiness other than what you were doing. And so James argues that this is the reason we're unhappy. Unhappy people are unhappy because they don't know how to find happiness in the monotonous daily grind of their lives. They constantly need another peak experience somewhere. This weekend, this Thursday, this Friday. And so as Blaise Pascal says in Pense, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. There are two words unhappy people use more than any others. When and then. When and then are the two most dangerous words in the, in the English language. When my cancer is in remission, then I will be happy. Because right now, I can't be happy. When I'm married, then I'll be happy. Because right now, I'm single and I can't be when my divorce is finalized, then I'm going to be happy. Like when I, I start all over and fresh and I'm out there, well, that's when I'm going to be happy. When I have children, then I'll be happy. Or when my child's behavior problems are fixed, then I'll be happy. When I make enough money, I'll be happy. Or gosh, when I retire, then I'll be happy. And some of you are like, when I die, I'll be happy. The problem with this future language, as Pascal says, is that since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. And deep down, you and I both know that this is true. How many genuinely happy people do you know? I'm not talking about happy like immediately after they did something really cool because they have a happiness hangover. I'm talking about genuinely happy people who were happy in the daily grind. How about you? Be honest. How about you? Let me ask this question a different way. If you were to go back and remove all the times over the past seven days since last Sunday, and you removed all the times that you were thinking about and anticipating and planning all of the incredible moments of happiness that you were going to have, that different job, the Eagles game on Sunday, the vacation that you want to take, getting wasted this weekend, having sex with that person, either in person or in your mind, that restaurant that you're going to go to, that weekend getaway that you're planning, or your kid's game on Thursday night. If you removed all of those things from your mind, what would you have left? Like, what would be left in your life? There are two things I want you to know. Number one, there's nothing wrong with mountaintop experiences. They're really, really cool when they happen. Let me tell you about another uh, mountaintop experience of mine. 2015, we went to visit one of our mission partners in Kenya. For those of you who are brand new, one of, a, one of our passions here as a congregation is to... Um, rescue and protect at-risk children around the world. So for those of you who are new, there are hundreds of families here that support children around the world. We've rescued children from trafficking all around the world. We just rescued, are rescuing babies in 2018 in Somalia. It's a passion of ours. Now, in 2015, um, we flew into 
just south of uh, South Sudan on the border with our dear friend Mary Kamau to visit a school that she had just started with all of our partners and with all of our support. Um, we are reaching in that area the people called the Turkana people, and the problem is there's severe poverty because of a drought that has been going on for a long, long time. And so what happens is um, men, because it's a polygamous culture, um, they will go to families, and they will, as soon as a woman becomes pregnant, they will say, if it's a daughter, I want to buy your daughter. I'm going to pay you right now money. And as soon as she turns 12, as soon as she has her first period, I want you to give her to me, and I'll marry her. She'll become one of my... She'll become my fourth or my fifth or my sixth or my seventh wife. So these people are starving, so they do that. And uh, so we've we've started a school there. And um, so the social workers and the teachers go out into the bush. And this is truly the bush. This is National Geographic kind of stuff. And they tell the families, don't sell your daughters because we'll feed them and we'll take care of them. We'll give them an education. We'll give them clothes, two meals a day. We're going to change their lives. Don't sell your daughters. So their school has just exploded. 600 kids. And it's so sad because the kids don't want to go home. They're like sleep on the steps of the school. And um, so anyway, we landed on this airstrip. It seemed like the edge of the earth. It was a bazillion degrees and I apologize for the poor quality of this video, but we, we go to this school, and it wasn't even a school day, so all 600 of these children walked for two to three to four to five to six miles just to just say hello to me. And um, this, is, this is how they greeted us. to those of you who give to the next gen because you make that happen. You've made that happen. Now here's the thing. Mountaintop experiences are great when they happen. A lot of you have been like on mission trips and you've gone other places and you've built homes and you've gone to camps and you've done events and you've been a part of groups and they're amazing when they happen. And they're, but they're to be enjoyed like a sunny day. It's great when the sun comes out. Enjoy it. But when it doesn't, that's okay because life is going to go on. What I'm doing today is not dependent on whether or not the sun comes out. I, I, create an approach to life that is dependent. I'm constantly looking forward to these things that are going to make us happy, one experience after another. is a terrible way to live our lives. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what creates genuine happiness of what we're going to talk about. Genuine happiness, like we're going to talk about next week, isn't dependent on anything. We're going to talk next week about how you can be genuinely happy 
whenever, whenever, wherever, regardless, without peak experiences. And here's the thing. Here's what's concerning to me about those of you who are believers, those of you who are Christians. Do you even know how to be a Christian without looking forward to your next Christian hit of spiritual awesomeness like a crack addict? Like, oh, I felt so close to God at that particular service or at that thing or next to that person or next to that trip. A lot of us, need. what we do is we take this approach to life before we become Christians and then we translate it into our Christian life. We don't even realize we're doing it. This is such a problem. It was the very first thing Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Please, please pay attention to this. Please get this point. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are, the, are they that are meek. What we miss in this is, primarily because of its poor translation, is that the word makarios in Greek, if you're going to translate it for 21st century, 2018 people, makarios in Greek means happy. Why do, why do the translators use the word blessed? Here's why. A quick 20-second historical lesson. In 1611, King James paid, well, it was before that, a bunch of translators to create an English translation of the Bible. It's called the King James Version. How many of you grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible? All two of you. Okay. Yes. My Baptist, Southern Baptist friends, we love you, brothers. We love you. We love you. Anyway. So King James Version, right, um, in 1611, became the thing that shaped the English language. And so the problem with transla- or creating a contemporary translation in 2018 is that nobody wants to go to their great-grandmother's funeral and have the pastor stand up and read the 23rd Psalm that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, he meets all my needs, which is what it says. They want to hear the Lord is my shepherd, What? I shall not want. Why? Because it means something. Why? Because of the stupid King James Bible. (laughs) Same thing here. This is one of the most popular passages in the Bible. The Beatitudes. What it really says is, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. And you read it that way, you're like, what? Happy. Are the meek. And it goes on and on and on. Jesus is saying you can be happy in the monotonous daily grind. In fact, you can be happy when really terrible stuff is happening. He says, if you listen to me, I will teach you genuine happiness. Unlike anything you've ever experienced in this culture. This shallow, motivational, self-help, rah, rah, crap that we learn from the culture. Here's the other thing. Being a Christian does not automatically make you happy. We never say this, but can I get an amen? Amen. How many of you know Christians that are unhappy? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, you're happy. Tell your face. (laughs) That ain't working. It's not working. Becoming a Christian may change where you're headed, where you're going, but it does not automatically change how you're living. I talk to Christians all the time that will tell me, oh, I'm just going to focus on my relationship with God. 
And that will make me happy. No, it won't. Please listen. Obviously, you need to work on growing closer to God. That's what we do around here. But focusing on your relationship with God will not make you any more happy, any more than focusing on your relationship with God will automatically make you a good parent or good with money. Of course it's important, but just being a Christian will not make you happy. And so that's why we're kicking off this series today called the Happiness Challenge. We're going to learn how to be genuinely happy in the daily grind. When we have problems, when other people would be unhappy, we can be happy. And so I have really good news for you. A lot of you are thinking deep down, and you may have never articulated this, there's something wrong with me. I'm fundamentally broken in some way. That deep down I'm flawed because I keep hungering for something more. Like, I've already done the Jesus thing, but I'm still hungering for more. What's wrong with me? I have very good news for you. The good news is the reason you're unhappy is not you. The problem is the approach you're using. And once God helps us change our approach to happiness... Your marriage is going to change. I mean fundamentally change. Because right now, let's be honest, you're not a nice person to be around. Turn around and lean over to your husband right now and say, are you listening to that? (laughs) No, but but seriously. Like, a lot of you are concerned. And, and, like... I will will talk to people all the time. They're like, listen, I'm doing all this stuff, but it's not working. And what they're saying is this core issue has not been solved. And please hear me. Let me say it again. Focusing on your relationship with God will not make you happy any more than focusing on your relationship with God, getting up in the morning, doing your devotionals is going to change your behavior automatically as a dad. Will it help? Of course it will help. Is it fundamental? Of course it's fundamental, but it's not going to, make, it's not going to fix it. So here's my big ask. I want to ask you to be here for the next three weeks. Please, please be here for the next three weeks. I know some of you are visiting here today for the very first time, and you're going to catch me afterwards, and you're like, listen, my friend brought me. I did, this is just like a one-time thing. My friend set me up on a blind date with CTV, and you want me to get married, right? We're not asking to marry you. We're not. All we're saying is, you're already in the series, and we promise you that the material that we're going to cover is going to be practical and helpful, and I promise you, you have never heard it anywhere else, period. Not in any church, not some TV show, not the best of Joel Osteen or Oprah. Parents, please be here. Those of you who teach in our Valley Kids, those of you who coach in our middle school ministry, our ministry to high schoolers, 
if I hear about one more kid wanting to kill themselves, I'm going to go nuts. You tell me this isn't important? So today we talked about why we're unhappy. Next week we're going to talk about how to be genuinely happy. Genuinely happy. The kind of happiness that Jesus talked about. Whenever, wherever, regardless. Let's pray. Please help us, God. We've put on Saul's coat of armor and it doesn't fit and it doesn't work. And we, we need your help. We yearn for something. Many of us already have you, so we know it's not that. Teach us to be happy when we mourn. Teach us to be happy when other people make us feel meek. Teach us to be happy when we're persecuted. Teach us to be happy when we're hungry. Teach us to be happy when we're in pain. Teach us to be happy when we're searching. Teach us to be happy when we're questioning. God, teach us to be happy, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, go to happinessable.com.